This Israel report is brought to you by the Blue Agency. Your Israel property is in good hands. Owning properties in Israel can be a great investment, but challenging to manage if you're based abroad. The Blue Agency will manage every aspect of your property, finding and vetting tenants, maintaining your property and getting it rental ready, negotiating contracts and collecting rentals, reporting back to you regularly. The Blue Agency has built a reputation for trust and confidentiality over 20 years. The Blue Agency, your Israel property is in good hands. Contact us at www.thebluagency.com. Good morning, Anthony Reich. How are you? So much to talk about on day 68 of Operation Swords of Iron. Uh, of course, Rosh Chodesh and Hanukkah as well. Um, we've got so many items on the agenda, and I'm just going to mention a few things that um, I would like to talk about that we're unlikely to get to. Mervyn wrote to me yesterday to ask why Israel is not using the death penalty for the terrorists, why are we keeping terrorists in jail and not giving them the death penalty? And it's a valid discussion and question, uh, which has not only been raised by Mervyn, but indeed by people in Israel. Yesterday, we um, spoke about the um, workers from Gaza and indeed from the Palestinian Authority area. And, and Kathy, you asked about whether we can talk about why those workers aren't being allowed back into Israel right now and what the significance of that is. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure that we're going to be able to get there today because I really want to start with the story of Ariel Zohar. He is a young man whose um, family lived on Kibbutz Nachal Oz until October the 7th. And his parents, Yaniv and Yasmin, along with his sisters, Keshet and Tchelet, were all murdered on October the 7th, leaving young Ariel the sole surviving member of his family. Mm. And last Thursday, Ariel celebrated his bar mitzvah. And he celebrated his bar mitzvah with the tefillin, which were recovered from his destroyed home on Kibbutz Nachal Oz, which were tefillin that were handed down from his grandfather, who was a survivor of the Holocaust. And Ariel insisted that he didn't want to celebrate his tefillin, uh, sorry, celebrate his bar mitzvah, and he didn't want anything in that destroyed home to be touched until those tefillin were found that he was able to use ultimately last Thursday when he celebrated his bar mitzvah. And the special guest of honor at the bar mitzvah was Rabbi Yisrael Meir Lau. Um, he is a former chief rabbi of Israel, and he is a Holocaust survivor who also was forced to celebrate his bar mitzvah without his parents being attended because, of course, Rabbi Yisrael Meir Lau was orphaned during the Shoah. And so... He came along to Ariel's bar mitzvah to share with him the joy and, of course, the sadness and to impart to him some words of wisdom about having to uh, celebrate your bar mitzvah without your parents and your family being in attendance. And I think that, excuse me, Ariel's resistance and resilience is just incredible under the circumstances having lost all the members of his family. There's a great picture showing Ariel with the, the former chief rabbi and members of his family, his uncle and others who are now taking care of him, um, smiling with his tefillin on, with the tefillin that were retrieved from that home in Kibbutz Nachaloz. I think that this is just <clears throat> one of so many stories of resilience from 
the Israeli home front, which we need to tell. We need the story to be told. 100%. And I'm actually finding these personal stories very confronting. Um, especially, you know, yesterday you were talking about how every single soldier in the IDF has to write a letter, um, you know, as though it is their last letter to their family so that if they are, before they go into battle, so that if they die, the family gets that letter. And it's, it's something that stayed with me the whole day yesterday, Anthony. And now this is a story today that it, it's so beautiful, it's so poignant, it is so tragic. And I just think such a young man to go through so much, you know, God gives great challenges to great souls and not all souls are equal. And I just, I just think that that is the only way that I can find meaning in it personally. Mm. Um, And unfortunately we're waking up this morning to news of um, eight soldiers who were killed in battle last night in the Gaza Strip. Five of them from the Golani Brigade. The Golani really, the Golani Brigade really came under a lot of fire last night. And um, Lieutenant Colonel Tomer Greenberg, a 35-year-old who was the commander, the commander of the 13th Battalion of the Golani Brigade, was one of those who was killed in battle, along with um, four of his soldiers, two company commanders, and um, uh, another two soldiers from Golani. Also killed last night were two soldiers from the emergency rescue unit 669, very, very well-known unit. Um, so unfortunately, a very um, black day um, yesterday for Israeli soldiers, for IDF soldiers in, in Gaza. It's a very dangerous place in spite of the extent to which the IDF have managed to become entrenched and get a foothold into Gaza. It continues to be an incredibly dangerous place. And the example of this battalion commander, Lieutenant Colonel Tommy Greenberg, just reinforces something that I've already said a few times, which is that in the IDF, the leaders go in first. The Lieutenant Colonel, who is the commander of the 13th Battalion, led his soldiers in. He was the one who caught the fire, amongst others, and he, along with his soldiers, he doesn't send his soldiers in to catch the first fire. He is the one who would lead them into the battle, and unfortunately, in this case, he's paid the ultimate price. May the families be comforted. May the families be comforted amongst the mourners of Zion, and of course, may the memories of our, our hero soldiers and be for a blessing. Amen. I, I just look at that, you know, the difference between leading from the front and leading from Doha. I'm just putting it out there. Um, I'm, I'm just saying. Mm. Anthony, um, another story that I saw, two bodies of Gaza hostages have been recovered. Um, unfortunately, there was loss of life um, in that recovery operation for the bodies. So what more do we know about this? So the two bodies that were announced yesterday as having been recovered from Gaza were actually recovered a few days ago. It wasn't just that it happened yesterday. There's a huge process involved in, um, first of all, retrieving the bodies from Gaza and then going through the process of identifying them to make sure that uh, they are who we think they are. Of course, two months have now passed since uh, many of those tragic incidents. The bodies are already in a state of decay of some sort. It's not clear whether the bodies had been buried or whether they'd just been left around for the last two months um, to decay. And so the process of um, unmistakably uh, um, identifying those people and who they are, and then the process of 
um, talking to the parents and just making sure that the families are familiar with what's going on takes some time. So finally yesterday, um, the news that Eden Zakaria, who was 28 years old and who was at the party in Reim, and uh, uh, Zim Dado, who was 36 years old, also a Golani soldier, and who was on his way down to um, the front at the Gaza Strip on October the 7th in order to assume his post and to help out where he was needed. Those two, um, we understand that Ziv Dada was actually killed on October the 7th. He was married to Stav and he was a father to a five-year-old daughter, five-month-old, I'm sorry, five-month-old daughter. Um, and finally, his body was recovered from Gaza um, um, uh, uh, late last week, along with that of Eden Zakaria. Um, and um, in the process of recovering those bodies, we are now told that two of the soldiers who were announced last week to have been killed in battle were actually killed while in the process of recovering these hostages. Now, I know there is a certain absurd about the situation where soldiers' lives are being lost in the process of trying to recover hostages whose lives have already been lost. It's not clear exactly when Eden lost her life, um, but um, it's clear that she didn't, she wasn't killed at that particular moment while they were recovering her body, um, and yet two soldiers were lost. And, and so there is a certain debate that says we shouldn't be losing soldiers in order to recover, to recover dead bodies, people who have already passed away. In, in our in our place, in our religion, in our belief system, recovering dead bodies is almost import, as important as recovering live people. And we, we don't, um, we, we don't give up on the recovery of those dead bodies in order to bring them back to their families, to give them the respectful burial that they deserve and to have a, a site that people, their families can mourn at and they have a place that they can go to when they're thinking about those people. And so unfortunately in the process, two IDF soldiers were lost and I know it makes absolutely no sense um, that lives should be lost in the recovery of these bodies, but it just reinforces the, the words that were made, that were stated yesterday by the IDF spokesman saying that it is amongst our foremost priorities to recover our hostages, those who are alive, and also those who are unfortunately no longer alive. Um, and so now we have two more that have finally been brought back that we can absolutely for sure tell their families, unfortunately, they've been part, they've passed away, they were killed brutally murdered um, during the course of the October the 7th massacre and beyond um, and I'm sure that this will not be the last time that we have to go through this process. I cannot imagine you know there are things that are worse than death Anthony and I cannot imagine the anxiety of families whose loved ones are possibly still alive and in the hands of the Hamas terrorists. I cannot And it's also imagine. not knowing. It's also, you know, the, 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 the families who don't really know whether their yeah. loved ones are alive or dead. Some of the hostages who came out of Gaza last week were able to send messages to family members because they were held with other hostages who remain in Gaza. There were quite a number of incidents where uh, specific messages were sent back through those hostages um, to members of the families. And those families know, at least for now, that their loved ones are alive. Um, but there are many who don't know exactly what 
what the fate of their loved ones are at the moment. Yeah. Anthony, a story that I'm going to really need your clarity on is uh, the Wall Street Journal. They're reporting that Israel has started pumping seawater into the Gaza tunnels. So firstly, has this been confirmed by Israel? Secondly, I think it was last week or the week before where Israel was saying that this was their intention. I mean, I've never heard of a of a military in the world that, you know, before they attack a certain area or they operate become operational in a certain area, they'll do a, f- um, a flyer drop. They'll do, you know, what's it called? Roof knocking or whatever it's called, where they'll actually phone, they'll mm-hmm. send SMSs to say, we're going to be there, move out of that area, which is actually often, more often than not, worked against them. Um, but... I don't know why Israel has this need to share information ahead of time. This is what we're going to be doing. Um, but has it been confirmed by Israel that they have been pumping seawater into the Gaza tunnels? Um, so um, we don't know whether that's actually happening or not. Israel has not referred to it at all over the last few days. Um, I did speak to Howard um, a week or two about why it would be that Israel would talk about this ahead of time. I think um, now, as I said then, that um, it's really just about trying to get uh, international reaction to this idea. We know that Egypt has used the idea of filling those tunnels that go underneath the border from Gaza uh, into Egypt and fill those tunnels with water because those tunnels were mostly being used for illicit trade purposes rather than uh, people dealing in in terrorism. Um, A lot of um, illicit uh, goods and services being brought under those tunnels from Egypt into Gaza. Um, It became a real hotbed of activity um, and uh, Egypt decided to, at one point, um, get rid of all of that by pumping water into the tunnels. Um, I don't know that their intention was necessarily to harm people who were in the tunnels. I think it was more about making the tunnels unusable going forward. Um, and Israel adopted that idea, and we do know that quite a number of uh, huge uh, pumps were actually put into Gaza in preparation for the idea of pumping water into the tunnels. It wouldn't surprise me if they've actually begun to do so, but there's been no confirmation or indeed no denial coming from Israel about the, the actual pumping of water right now. But it was clear that when it was reported at the time, I think originally it was reported in the New York Times rather than the Wall Street Journal, um, I think my memory serves me correctly, but when it was originally reported, the Israelis were quite eager to talk about it and to say, yeah, that is an idea and it is something that we're thinking about doing and even if people might uh, be able to take preventative action and to, to try to try to avoid um, the, the water that's going to be pumped in, we know that it will destroy the tunnel. They won't be able to undo all the work that's gone on over and ten dozens of years to build that infrastructure that would be easy to destroy by pumping water and of course seawater all the more damaging because of the salt content. So it wouldn't surprise me if that process has begun um, but we believe the Wall Street Journal here, the Israeli government, the IDF, have not responded at all to any of that. Anthony, that is where we leave it today. Look forward to speaking to you tomorrow. Wish you a Chanukah Chag Sameach, or Chag Chanukah Sameach. I wish you a Shavuot. Um. <laughs> Anthony, have a wonderful day. And Chodesh Tov. Thank you so much. That is Anthony Reich. He's our Israel correspondent. And uh, an absolutely brilliant, brilliant. He always offers such clarity, insight. And you know what I love most is he's not biased. When there's criticism to give, he gives it. And uh, just very, very grateful for uh, Anthony Reich and what he contributes and how he colors 
the narratives of our lives. I'm Kathy Kayla. It is 8 o'clock. Here is Lindy with your news. That Israel Report was brought to you by the Blue Agency. Your Israel property is in good hands. Hi, it's Barry Cohen from the Blue Agency. Israel is currently facing one of its biggest challenges ever. All of Klal Israel is praying for the safety of our soldiers and the return of the hostages. We hope and pray that our soldiers and security forces will prevail and that they will all return home speedily and triumphant. We hold the hands of our clients and friends who have children serving in Tzahal, who are protecting Israel and Jews around the world. May Hashem protect us all. Oh,